an interview series with singers using the power of music to promote well-being, social justice, and offer support and empowerment to vulnerable communities. I'm your host, Joanne Lauder-Young. In this episode, I interview Jess Baker, a singer, songwriter, gifted musician, and all-around wonderful human being who uses her talents in service of helping others. Jess shares with us her stories of working in prisons, with community choirs, and with moms and babies in support of mental health and well-being. Jess lives in the UK, where the government offers a unique kind of support of community music and the role it plays in mental health. This is especially important in this pandemic era. I'm glad you're with us for this wide-reaching conversation. Okay, hello, I'm Jess Baker and I'm a community musician here in the UK. I'm a natural voice practitioner and I am a musician, singer, play a bit of guitar and ukulele, bang some drums, stuff like that. Awesome. Well, it's really great to have you. We met through a mutual singing teacher, which is Rhiannon of Rhiannon Music. And I was so eager to uh, talk more with you because of your community music background and the interesting connections that you have between community music, uh, working in prisons and singing with, I guess we'd say, marginalized populations and Mm -hmm. uh, sort of the mental health aspect of singing. So welcome and I'm so happy that you're here to have this conversation. What is, you are a singer on the front line and what is happening on your front lines right now? My front line's all over it, shop. <laughs> <laughs> My front line is, is so different. So at the moment we mentioned the prisons work, that's really far away at the moment. I still, I manage that work. I've managed a project about prisons in the north of the UK, working with people who live on therapeutic units, people with personality disorder. And we haven't been able to reach them since March in person. We haven't been able to reach them. They've been locked down, as you can imagine. So we are currently reaching them via post, which is quite exciting. Got a group of artists um, at Hoots that are working on it. So each artist has submitted an idea. So that's what we're doing, hoping in the new year that things will loosen up a little bit and we might be able to do some sort of small group work. My other work, all my singing work's online. So the Swan Song Project, which I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, I'm doing a weekly choir with them online, which has gone international, actually, which is mm, nice. really exciting. And then my hoot, my other hoot work with a choir that's for mental health and well-being, that's online every week as well. So it's right. very, it looks different at the moment, but I'm still managing to reach the people that I work with. Yeah, we find a way. Somehow we find a way. So when you say you're working in the prisons by post, uh, is that more visual art where you send them some supplies or you send them recordings of songs or? It's all music. So what I know about the people we work with is they have varying access to CD players, instruments. Some of them have done music loads. Some of them will never have done music before and varying levels of being able to read literacy. And also there's a higher percentage of people with dyslexia in prison. So when we were thinking about stuff to post out, all there's um, seven musicians on the prisons projects, we all got together and we've all offered a different musical offering. So mine, for example, is I've sent in a postcard stamped addressed to Hoot and given um, 
an idea, a topic to write about, and then they just write a few words or draw about it or anything and they send it back to me. And then I'll take all their postcards and I'll write some songs and I'll record them and I'll, I'll send it back to them. So there's a bit of back and forth. Other musicians have done with, we have got CDs and most people can have CDs in the communal area. Quite a lot of people have CD players in their, in their rooms, in their cells. So one of the musicians done a sort of mindful listening thing. And one of the guy, Dominic, he's done some rhythms and they can sort of play along on a table or on body percussion. So we've tried to be as varied as possible and done lots of musical offerings. There's wow, someone, interesting. Someone doing a classical music offering and sort of listening and thinking about that. So songwriting ideas. Yeah, as much as we can, we've just packed into this pack. It's not quite finished yet. Wow, so. wow. That will be a real gift to them, I'm sure. Um, you've mentioned Hoot a couple times. Can you explain what Hoot is? Yeah, Hoot Creative Arts is um, arts and mental health charity here in Huddersfield, where I am. It's been, I think it's about 20 years old, Hoot. So I've been there for a, about 10 or 11 years. I can't even remember. It's a brilliant charity with beautiful ethos and practice right at the heart of it and we have programs in mental health for our local community which include music writing visual art you know and, and combinations of those things we have a beautiful program called breathing space which is for people living with dementia and their carers and we have the prisons program which i manage and we have another one called creative pathways that's reaching out to people who are maybe in more secure settings in our community. So yeah, that's that's Hoot, it's a special thing. Yeah, and I think for people that don't live in the UK, they don't really realize sort of what's happening with community music in the UK. Can you talk a little bit about that and the sort of the support you get from the National Health Service and um, yeah. how it how it all links together and why, why the arts, like how did this all come about and what's the value of it? Yeah, it's a bigger story than I probably know all the information of, but what I do know is when I joined Hoot, I was 21 and I'm 34 now. So that's how long I've been at Hoot. When I joined Hoot, it was smaller. I think I was the sixth or seventh member of the staff team and now there's 14 of us. There was not as much, not as many programmes. And it did feel definitely like when we went to new places and we were quite fringy and quite, you know, provocative. And people would be like, oh, there's a hippie turned up with a bongo. You know, it was that sort of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't as recognised. You know, we'd always have the djembes, the African drums, and people be like, oh, it's a bongo and a hippie. It, <laughs> so it definitely didn't feel as recognised even that long ago. Saying that, though, just before I joined Who, I did a master's in community music. So I know at that time there were two masters in the UK that you could do. There was one in Edinburgh and one in York where I did it. So, and now there's more. There's more qualifications you can get in community music. So it's definitely growing. And I learned off some of the best community musicians. I think there was a guy who got me into it from when I was at university. There's a module called Community Music. A man called Hugh Nankavell ran that and it, it did change the way I thought about music. I took it because I was a classical guitarist in university and doing a classical music degree. And all my friends were orchestral musicians. So they were going to orchestra to practice. And I felt I was sat in my room practicing. It was a very sort of solitary solo instrument, a classical guitar. So I had this sort of hunger to play music with other musicians. And then this module came up and I just took it because I was like, community, <laughs> that sounds like a thing I want. 
So I took that and then Hugh Nankavell, this guy stood in front of us and said, can I have some volunteers? I'm doing a project in some local schools. So I put my hand up to join him to be a volunteer on his project. And that was going around local schools in Huddersfield, in Kirklees, um, and doing songwriting with children, with the kids. And then we did, we brought all the songs together and we toured them around the schools. And that was my first taste of what community music might be. Community music's a lot of things. And it was just, I just remember just complete joy. <laughs> Playing music with a musician, nice. yeah. writing songs. I've not, I've sung a bit in my life. I had sung, but I didn't consider myself a singer. But all of a sudden we were songwriting and singing. And that just, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to do what Hugh's doing. I want to mm -hmm. be a community musician. And that led me to doing the masters. And then through the masters, as I discovered Hoop, one of the teachers said, oh, you're from Huddersfield and you play guitar. There's um, a charity called Hoots you want to check out. So I rang up Hoots and said, can I volunteer? <laughs> uh, and they had a guitar orchestra. So I turned up to their guitar orchestra as a volunteer and they were singing and playing guitar. And they were singing harmony songs. They were singing traditional songs and I'd never done that before. And that like changed wow. my life again. That's how I discovered the sort of natural voice network. Wow. So, so yeah, many, so many, so many threads I want to follow up on. But let me just ask um, before I get back to the hoot work, what like when you study community music, what are the skills and what's mm. what's the theory behind it? Like why? How? And when you say community music, you know, that probably means so many things to different people. It could be a community choir, but you're also talking about the mental health aspect. So how do you frame it? And then what sort of skills did you study? What sorts of things did you learn? Yeah, I mean, I had a brilliant teacher. He's called Bruce Cole. And he is just powerhouse. He's absolutely brilliant. And he, I remember a line he said, let me just see if I can. He said, community musicians are a little bit like a Swiss army knife. You have to be very, a very good musician and very flexible in that you turn up to a group of people quite often in some quite tricky settings, you know, varied people, all sorts of different places you go you know, mental health settings, hospitals, prisons, in your community, different, you know, cultural backgrounds, all that. So you have to go with a sort of plan. You have to have a toolkit ready because you can turn up and you don't quite know what you've got, but you have to have a tool for it. You have to sort of whip it out and like, you know, there have been times where I've turned up to schools or whatever and they've employed me as a musician to do some and I say have you got any instruments and they go yeah we've got some instruments we've got you know boxes of shaky things and you turn up and like they haven't got them or you know so you've got right, like a room right. of chairs and What's some children <laughs> right right <laughs> like, okay let's do okay we've got some drumsticks let's do drumming on chairs or you know it's that sort of finding a way to facilitate a group of people to do music mm -hmm. is I think is the sort of basic thing with community music it does differ from music therapy slightly, although there are lots of overlaps and I've worked with some amazing music therapists, but it is the facilitation of music mm -hmm. in any sort of setting. Um, it's interesting because you were talking about like you show up and whatever was supposed to be there isn't there and you kind of need to be ready with the plan B. And I was thinking how there's sort of an element of community music in a lot of cultures, but either yeah. it's not well known or it's not necessarily respected the way classical music, certainly, or uh, more formal 
kinds of music. Do you have a sense of why that is? What is it? What do you think it is about community music that sort of and and if it were more well known, would it be harder to do it well? Like, is there a sense of not being a visible thing the way performance is so visible as a singer songwriter and you're out there gigging and this kind of work is quieter kind of involves less ego. It's sort of more about facilitating yeah. the group experience. Do you think it it is more effective because it isn't about being in the spotlight? That's, that is a massive question. <laughs> Great. I think you're right. Yeah, it isn't about ego. It isn't about being in the spotlight. It is sort of quiet work. And actually talking about it like this is quite new for me. I know when we first started in prisons, it felt it was very quiet. It was like, don't talk about it. Because, you know, we're spending public money and mm. because we didn't want, you know, it could be the sort of thing where a newspaper could go, prisoners in the UK getting music. <laughs> oh, right. But they don't deserve, like they don't deserve music. They don't Is deserve that music, you know, wow. lack of understanding about that system. And, right, right. Um, we don't feel like that anymore. We are going more public now. It is because it's more accepted. People know that because of things that have been on telly, and, you know, people mm. know that music and being creative is such a successful tool for mental health and well-being. It's definitely more known. So I don't know if I've taken any question on the tangent then, but... No, but it's interesting yeah, to it, kind of think about the, the nuts and bolts of it and, and yeah. wonder why it's not more visible or not more well-known. Certainly outside the UK, it's pretty rare to, to hear yeah. it framed the way it feels like in the UK it's been more... I guess I want to say formalized in terms of a proper course of study and specific skills. Yeah. And I don't know, do you have licensure or is it hard to get a job if you don't have the degree? No, do you know, anyone can be a community musician. So it, it does vary in quality a lot, I must say. Mm -hmm. So anyone mm -hmm. can call themselves a community musician and turn up and do a bit of something that for right. me wouldn't be quite high quality and still be a community musician. Right. And that's where it does vary, I think, from music therapy, which you do get, you know, you do get right. qualification. You do have to be a music therapist to do that. You don't have to be a community musician to do community music. So what do you think are the skills? What makes for a quality experience? What, what skills are needed or what skills have you learned along the way? I think in terms of quality, there's a lot about approach, intention, ethos. You know, like I said, it's about facilitation, about providing your participants with a high quality musical experience or group experience or creative experience. Might tick other boxes other than music. So in prisons, the boxes we're ticking are pro-social outcomes. You know, have these people felt through our sessions that they're a positive community, they're supporting each other, they're communicating better. The staff and the residents have worked together and respect each other. So, you know, you get those other outcomes other than we played some fantastic music, which we do. Mm -hmm. So, and just, you don't have to be the shiniest, biggest, best musician to be a community musician. So if you just went in there as like a brilliant musician and sang beautiful things or played amazing songs, that wouldn't necessarily be providing the participants with the best musical experience because it's about right. involving and giving them the power and the ownership over right. what's created right that's the sounds like that's the facilitated part of it is knowing how yeah. to facilitate a creative experience with the outcome being their increased creativity and and engagement yeah, yeah. 
was so interesting. Going back to Hoot then, so how does it work exactly? People, I read somewhere that you can get a prescription in the UK and then go to a place like Hoot, but how do, how do clients find you? How do they, how does it work with them? So social prescribing, yeah, that's a thing. And the Hoot are working on it at the moment because it's not such a thing around here at the moment, or at least we haven't quite, it's, it, it was down south that was set up. I see. Social prescribing, so that's brilliant, it's so good. Uh, but we do have links with GPs, with our local uh, mental health service, and people get referred from those places from mm-hmm. hospitals or their mental health support work or their, you know whatever but also uh, who people can refer themselves mm-hmm. if they feel like it would be beneficial for their mental health and well-being wow and so then that's like part of their health insurance is that they go to a place like hoot how do you how do you survive financially hoot is free to everyone who comes so it's, um, it's crucially. oh you said it's a charity so it runs on donations it is funded quite brilliantly by our local authority Kirklees. Kirklees is a very brilliant local authority in that way it's quite rare in that it funds the arts for mental health and well-being it has done for a long time and that funds our core program mm-hmm. we also have various funding so we're um, an arts an arts council funded organization so we get mm-hmm. money from there we have regular money people are funding us at the moment to make sure that we've got the tech that we need to reach people wow um, nice in Dur- during COVID-19 yeah so actually we do get donations but we don't run principally on donations mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. local authority grants and arts council grants and different money from places like that yeah it's always the the issue of sustainability and how you have these great creative things and how they stay alive on into the future i am so curious to know i have never been in a prison what was it like your first time going into a prison i was so scared <laughs> yeah all we see is like the, movies that, and TV shows, right? <laughs> yeah, it's and it's it's a little bit like that, but not like that. It's not like what you see mm-hmm. on telly, you know, obviously. The hardest part about walking into prisons is the walking into prisons, getting through that initial the gate. You have to like get in the door and then you have to wait. And then someone goes, Who are you and what are you here for? And you have to like show your ID and say, I'm booked into C P D unit and I'm from Hoot, and they're like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm here to do music, and they're like, what? And sometimes you have, like, equipment, and you've, like, booked in equipment, and they have to check all your equipment. Oh, and right. off, getting, right. like, African drums, and, you know, djembes or ukuleles into a prison is hilarious. And then they have to ring through, and sometimes it's a bit clunky, and then someone has to come and collect you, and it's really that getting wow. through the gate wow. is the Quite hardest process. part. Yeah. Because the person on the gate doesn't know what you're there for and you're just hoping you've been booked in right. And right, So right. then I remember the first time, first prison I went to, was it Garth or was it Franklin? You have to like walk through a prison. You have to be led by a prison officer and, and getting used to things like they open a door and you step through it and then you have to wait because they have to lock the door again. You know, it's like this little mm-hmm. dance you do. Mm-hmm. And then getting onto the unit. I remember the first time, it's really vivid. We went to the living area of the residence there which was in the middle of all their cells their, their bedrooms and sat and they were obviously the prison officers were really comfortable they were just like just say hello to people and they sort of sat there and I think this is what we're good at as community musicians actually we're good at sitting there and going hello I'm here to do this and you know uh-huh. who are you what's your name we got do you know what to be a community musician you have to be really good at getting people's names quickly <laughs> that's a that's gift like facilitation 101 yeah, yeah it is it's a gift yeah that's a facil- that is you're right 
And so we sat there and I think my line has always been, which I established early on in the prisons, is I am here to do this music thing that we do because it's, it, it feels good. Do you want to come and see what I do? Come and have a go and then let me know what you think and let me know if you want to do more. So the invitation is very like, mm. I'm here. Do you want to try it? Mm-hmm. And most people at that point are sort of like, curious and you know there's sort of quite a bit of like oh I'll do it if you do it you're gonna do it you know so then you sort of like get these people in a room and once you're in the room with people who have chosen to come your job's easier and it doesn't feel like you're in a prison anymore it feels like you're with any group of people mm-hmm. doing what you do best uh-huh. <laughs> and we, we're not talk we're not talking about them as prisoners I don't care so one of our things is that we don't have a briefing about individuals apart from if it's for safety reasons, about their particular mental health oh, so, or, or why they're there or how they... Or yeah. why they're there. Yeah. So actually, I go into groups not knowing their individual crimes. That's not useful to me. Sometimes, you know, you go on a unit that's maybe for sex offenders or something like that. So you do have a little bit more of a picture, but I don't know their individual things and I don't know their individual diagnosis either. That doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We always have a prison officer in the room with us. There's always two musicians. We go in as a, as a that feels safe and good. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. for energy purposes, because it can be quite a hard environment to bring energy into. So yeah, two of yeah. us bringing the, passing it off to each other. So then it just feels like you're doing your job. <laughs> are these are these both men's and women's prisons? Yeah, there's not as many women's prisons. <laughs> there's not as many high security women's prisons, obviously. So we go into two, and the rest that we go into are men's, like six or seven that we go into are men's. Yeah, yeah. Prisons. Wow, so interesting. Is there someone that you've met that a prisoner that really you saw had a big change or shift or you know that the the music touched them in a certain way can you share any stories yeah I'm not going to say the prison or the name of a prisoner but we did go into one and there was someone who was on I'm going to say suicide watch I think it's got a much better name than that but someone who had to be monitored all the time because they were at risk of harming themselves and Throughout the, our sessions, I think we maybe did like eight sessions weekly, they came off that, they got a little bit better, so they didn't have to be on that constant watch, and then they were allowed a guitar in their room, which is obviously a high-risk instrument, mm-hmm. um, because they discovered that they, and they'd not played guitar before, we'd done some open tuning so they could bar and play cards, mm-hmm. and, and they wrote some songs and some words during that short time, so... It was quite a transformation. I think that's when the prison officers and the psychologists of the unit go like, oh, this is this is good. <laughs> they can see the, the value of it. Yeah. 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 And that's the feedback, you know, the feedback we got not so long ago from another prison was I got an e- email afterwards saying that the women are saying that was the best intervention they'd had ever had. <laughs> Yeah. And when you get feedback like that, or you get those individual stories of people never picking up a guitar and all of a sudden being able to write songs and then showing us, you know, that's that's massive, isn't it? So when you were studying community music, did they cover these kinds of environments or like what allows you to kind of set your judgment aside of either someone in a prison or someone with mental health issues? You know, it takes a lot of openness to really kind of open your heart to them or or... Yeah, I think some people, you know, certainly in the media, they're not always humanized. So was there anything in your background or training that that helped you with that? Who who did that? Community, well, what we did on community music 
masters was we looked at all different environments. We had specialists come in and give us, you know, some workshops and sessions on those. And that covered working with children with disabilities. A music therapist came in, someone who worked at Who came in actually, which is the link. So all those different things, Gamelan, we did a big project about Gamelan and the school, you know, it was fantastic, but it didn't do that sort of deep dive into mental health and prison settings. Mm -hmm. That was Hoot. And I think Hoot's ethos, when I first turned up to do that volunteering job at Hoot, I wasn't told anything about anyone. They welcomed me into that room. It was a mental health group. I didn't really know what I was coming to. I didn't really know what mental health meant. I just sat with that group of people and we sang and played guitar. And as I got to know them, I sort of clocked what sort of group it was. So, you know, that some people had been in hospital and had been ill and were on medication, but I didn't clock it because it was just a group of people just playing right, music. Right. Any group of people you get are going to have different characters, quiet people, people who are loud, people who are a bit disruptive. You know, you get that, don't you, in any sort of group? Yeah, you people know are people. <laughs> yeah, people and are then, people, yeah. People are people. And then through doing the prisons work, the first thing we did is we had a really good link with a guy called Nick Benefield, and he was integral to setting up the first pipe units, which are the units, the personality disorder, the sort of therapeutic units, psychologically informed planned environments of the, oh, these units in prison. P-I-P-E, okay. Yeah, so they're the places we go in, in the prisons. And his has just released this um, model of human development, which is beautiful. It takes into account everything that we are as humans and what goes into that including what happens before we're born and what happens after we die and how that has an impact on our life. And it has all these things feeding into it about what we have as, you know, what we have as children, what we require mm -hmm. as children, safety, mm -hmm. nourishment, people singing to us, our parents singing to us and making eye contact and how mm -hmm. something and how not having those things as a child impacts the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So when I see people in prison, and I don't know their backstories. Occasionally I get to know their backstories. And, you know, that's when you understand where those people might be coming from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if it they've makes had serious me, deficit. Yeah, I can't think of the name of the author, but there's a couple books he's written about the world in six songs. But the science, what I'm thinking of is just the science behind that. And what you're talking about sounds like it touches on attachment theory, for example. Or yeah. also I know from... Uh, there's a, a type of trauma treatment called EMDR, which is about right left brain balancing as a way to process trauma and that music and movement. So all the science, is that part of your background? Is that part of what you learned in community music? Was any of what supports, and I guess music, yeah, music specifically of, you know, the music in the brain and what, what's happening in there? Yeah, I've learned it as I go. So through, through Hoots, we have regular, obviously, mental health awareness training and trainings on therapeutic communities. You know, we, we had always had regular high quality training and input. And I think we're very reflective and thoughtful as a staff team. You know, we talk about mental health in a way that, you know, I've talked about it here and I've just picked it up. So although I've been working in mental health and in prisons for a long, a long time, I wouldn't call myself a specialist. I'm not a mental health worker. Right, right. You know, it's a fine have, distinction, okay. yeah. Yeah, I have a good awareness and understanding that helps me work in the environments. Mm -hmm. But actually, I lead with music mm -hmm. um, in those environments rather than my mental health expertise. Right. Yeah. Right. It sounds like you need to know enough 
to to not yeah. do any harm, right? And to yeah. to know how to kind of hold safety in that in that space. You you know you learn along the way. So I know that, and I don't want to generalize at all, but you know people who may, from my experience, be like hearing voices in their heads. If you're doing like if you're singing around that's like super close, that can be quite chaotic and can trigger things for people. Right. So it's just knowing stuff like that, right. you know, just being aware of anything. But I mean, that's quite a, a specific example, isn't it? But things like, just knowing that what you do yeah. is yeah. impacting people and making sure it's as safe as possible and asking people if they're okay. Are you okay? How did that feel? You know? <laughs> right, right. Um, you mentioned Swan Song Project earlier, which I, I only know a little bit about it and that it is quite timely. I think, yeah, because of COVID-19. <laughs> so can you explain a little bit about what the Swan Song Project is and how yeah, you got involved Swan in it? Yeah, so my friend Ben, Ben Slack, set up this charity a few years back called the Swan Song Project. And it's because he'd started going into hospices and writing songs with people at the end of life. Mm. And he is a brilliant community musician, songwriter. And then is charity grew and grew and grew and he got some funding so then he got other musicians involved so a few times I've gone and if people have written songs I've, been, I've worked with some women who weren't as confident with their voices and needed to, you know working with the melody and stuff when they were recording I've added some harmonies for them and you know I've worked in that sort of capacity and then because of what's happening at the moment the Swan Song Project weren't able to get in to hospices they weren't were able to of course reach many people they've been doing some virtual stuff so they put some funding into doing an online choir which I'm running mm. so and that, the idea behind that is you know Ben is always there and he gives um, an introduction to Swan Song before I do an hour's worth of singing anyone can come to that choir it is free which has been amazing but people can obviously donate but it's to do awareness raising and to make links with people and make nice. people feel good We'll have to, we'll put and, that link, we'll post that link. So it sounds like the online choir for Swan Song is something new because of COVID, but normally they work at the bedside with people. Is that right? Yeah. I have gone into hospice before and if someone, someone wrote a song, she, she wrote, she wrote a song, then the staff all got together and sang the chorus and we did a video. So I went in and helped with that, you know, so it, it does various things but mainly yeah at the bedside work or working with families bereaved families as well doing songwriting it's an amazing project Ben's amazing and yeah I'm really feel very pleased to be doing the choir at the moment I know there are some people who have worked with Swan Song who are coming to that choir it's just keeping that link you know and just keeping mm -hmm. people singing and connected <laughs>
working in prisons and working with people who are about to lose or losing a loved one, those are really challenging uh, situations where you're accompanying, you're accompanying people in a really difficult situation. And do you, yeah. how do you take care of yourself in that kind of a situation? Like how do you stay grounded and centered even though you're working around a lot of trauma and exposed to a lot of grief and you know emotions? Yeah. I think that is to do with the other artists I work with, you know, with Swan Song, with Ben and with who, with the other, you know, we go in pairs and we work on a team. We reflect and we talk about it. You know, coming out of prison, if you've had a quite difficult session, you know, there have been some quite difficult sessions with some things that have happened that are a bit like, <gasps> or you find out a bit of information, you know, you come mm -hmm. out and there's two of you and you talk about it. That's part of the process is mm -hmm. you talk about it make sure you have a coffee and talk to each other and reflect and are you okay? And you know, that sort of stuff is very important because it, it is upsetting sometimes the work that we do. The work makes me feel good. You know, I yeah. when I've sang with a group of people in whatever environment, it makes me feel good, which is yeah. why I do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I would think that you build up resilience over the years yeah. and the more experienced that you get, the more you know how to take care of yourself and, and not take yeah. on their trauma, but be witness to it. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier about, we were talking about singing to children and kind of how kids are raised. And I know that there's also another, I think it's UK based organization, Thula Mama, that's yeah. teaching women to sing to their baby. I'm observed about doing that. I know how I got into it is when I was on maternity leave, I had little Willow. Groups were a lifeline to me. And I did go to quite a lot of music groups I wanted to sing I wanted to get because I knew music was good for me and for Willow and in groups that I went to they were all fantastic but I noticed that I was no longer Jess I was Willow's mom oh. and that the music was all centered towards the babies so it was a lot of baby centered stuff which was lovely but I was like what about me and uh -huh. um, so then I had already heard of Tula Mama it was Helen Yeomans who is a natural voice practitioner so it's a franchise that you buy into it's really well priced and well she supports you beautifully and you get this sort of this book of songs that are harmony songs so again it's a cappella, harmony singing songs from all different cultures lullabies beautiful songs and you go and you sing with a group of women and what I liked about it is that it's high quality singing it's harmony singing it's you know it's not you know, it's not the wheels on the bus go round and round, which is uh -huh. fine. It's got its place, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's for it's for the women to sing together and feel good. And through uh -huh. and men, so I'm saying women, but actually men as well. It just tended to be more women on maternity leave, but men, of course, did come. But so through the parents singing together and feeling good and singing harmony songs, the babies obviously get those benefits. They get the benefits. times now the natural voice network what is that oh the natural voice network another thing that sort of changed 
Change it's a great name. Work. It's a great name. Yeah, it's it was um, started by this amazing folk singer Frankie Armstrong, who was started taking singing folk traditional songs into the world, into singing groups, and realised that it wasn't happening enough, maybe, and that she had this beautiful approach where, you know, you don't need to be able to read music or have any experience. It's all taught by rote. There's a lot, obviously, this is a video, won't be released with this podcast, will it? But, you know, a lot of, like, hands showing where the pictures are. And Mm -hmm. um, so it was an accessible way for anyone to be able to come and sing in a group. So she started that. It might have been something like, I want to say 40 years ago, something ridiculous. It's been going ages. So I joined that through Hoot. There was a singer, Jenny Goodman, and I went to her choir, and I really liked how she ran it. And she was a natural voice practitioner. So I joined the Natural Voice Network. I went to the initial training. There's a week long, like singing leaders training in a castle in Wales. It was amazing. Nice. <laughs> so and that, was, that was by Frankie Armstrong. So I went there and she taught us some songs in that week. And I was like, oh, one of them's the seal calling song, Yunda, wow. Yunda, Yunda, which I use to this day, you know. Um, and I've gone to the gatherings and the AGMs every year. And it's a group of people. There's hundreds of us now in the UK and I know it goes outside the UK as well who are running these natural voice choirs that are open access choirs in the communities. So where does the name like why natural voice network what what are they what's the the kind of underlining principle or value under calling it the natural voice network? I think it's recognizing that it's it's part of being human to have a voice and to sing and and what you said earlier about you know, some cultures sing, don't they? But singing seems to be taken out at the moment of, or for, you know, it's not in schools as much. It's maybe not in family, not around the piano singing our ears, families. And right, right. Something sort of, and that seems like we, that's a loss to us. That's a loss to our culture and to our community. So it's putting that back in, but it's a human right to sing and to mm-hmm. make music and to have a voice. Mm-hmm. And that come as you are to the choir, you're not going to be auditioned. You're not going to be judged. Your voice, however it is at that moment, however your whatever your starting point is, you are part of this group and you will make a collective sound. You know, it might not always be beautiful. It might, it's just like anything. When you, if you've not sang for a while or you've never sang, it takes a while, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's amazing the damage that gets done so early on when a teacher says, yeah. you, like, just mouth the words or you can't you can or can't sing telling a seven a six or seven year old you know you can or cannot sing and how people carry that with them for the rest of their lives and every natural voice practitioner I guarantee you will have had that story from their participants oh I was told I couldn't sing or I was told I was out of tune or you know and then they come because people want to sing so I right. think it's those right. people those people who come they sneak into a choir and go I can't I can't sing <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, come in. That's it's right. So brave. That's right. That's right. Well, you're also a performer, though. Your whole life hasn't been all about the community music stuff. And so I want to, I'm curious, can you share about your, your, the performance side of things and what kinds of things have you done as a performer? Yeah. Oh, I miss performing so much. I'm going to do some <laughs> online stuff in the online live streaming in the new year, actually, because I haven't done any in lockdown. So I have a loop pedal that I got so many years ago and I got my loop pedal because I wanted to work out like be able to sing harmony songs and practice them for choirs but I ended up writing songs on it just 
organically. And when I was writing songs, I thought I was writing for choirs, but I was like, oh, this is not for a choir. I think this mm. is for me. I'm writing for me. So I started taking my little original songs out, my all voice and loop pedal. And I felt like I needed to give myself a name. I don't know why, but it was Kaninken, which is the German word for rabbit. Because ah. one of my uh, one of my early songs is called Rabbit. <laughs> I ended up taking it out, and that sort of grew and grew and grew. And I've added to my setup with a chaos pad and a harmony pedal. And so that's one of the things I do is I go out and perform with so my like loop solo pedal. solo performance Shown with some yeah. technical assistance. Shown on the news. 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 like it would be a lot of fun it's a lot of fun so I get to sing Prince's women <laughs> All the, you know Prince have these amazing women dancing around on stage for hours on end sweating wearing heels and singing Prince is my, one of my happy one of my happy places <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm curious to know there's a lot of musicians who've who've obviously lost a lot of work in COVID-19 because nobody's outperforming and I think there's a lot of interest in teaching, facilitating. As someone who does both those things, who's both been both a, music, a performer and songwriter and music sort of community music facilitator, what advice do you give people? And what, what do you see as kind of the, the primary differences between the two sort of skill sets? It's because just because you're a good performer may not make you a great teacher or just because you're a great teacher, you know what I mean? How, what transfers and then what are additional skills maybe that would be good to get? Yeah, I think it does make me a better community musician because I am always working on my own music and myself. You know, I look after my own CPD, like me and you doing the um, Rihanna and stuff. That was big, you know, that was big for me. And you just want to stay, it's like you're never, you're never finished, are you, with music? So right. I think because, because I carry on writing my own songs and I perform, I learn and I go to workshops, it just makes me a better community musician. When you're a participant yourself, going to the first Rhiannon thing, I was so frightened. Right. That I, did, 
I didn't want to sing. I was so frightened. I felt embarrassed. You know, you have all that stuff that you go through. For people that don't know, yeah, Rhiannon focuses on vocal improvisation, which is pretty scary <laughs> to, to just pretty like scary. trust that you can open your mouth and something's going to come out. So just to feel what it is to be a participant was very important because, you know, you can forget when you walk into a group of new people and you're going, let's sing everyone. And they're like, what? <laughs> So I think having that experience both is important. And I think I need to feel like I'm nourishing myself creatively and that I am growing and performing in order to feel alive, <laughs> good as a musician. And, you know, I do songwriting with people. So to songwrite myself and keep that practice going and creative is important to me. So it sounds like um, having empathy for the people that you're yeah. working with is really important and then tending your own creativity. Yeah, you could get stuck in a rut. I think when, you work, when you're running workshops, you know, I could have been running singing workshops with the same 10 songs all these years if I wanted, you know, or you could just do one songwriting activity and always approach songwriting like that. But it's, that wouldn't be high quality. You'd get bored. It wouldn't be responsive to your participants. So just to sort of keep yourself energized and creative and then in terms of losing work you know I've had to pick up another job during yeah <laughs> during yeah. lockdown I had to pick up, I've had to pick up a job in a stall um which has been great actually for me but um at the moment it's just there are plenty of things online that you can do it might not feel the same I did a course online at the start of lockdown on singing teaching which was really valuable what do you recommend for people that really want to learn how to be a good teacher or facilitator? Yeah, there's, there's a subtle difference. There's differences between facilitation and teacher. Yeah. So I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call any of the work I do at Hoop teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it has elements of taught things sometimes, but. So how would you define that difference between teaching and facilitating? I think it's tricky. You've asked me a tricky question, but it's important. <laughs> <laughs> When you're facilitating, I think you're there as a holder and supporter and you're bringing the ideas and you're letting the sort of, I, I'm thinking of a group when I'm thinking about facilitation. You're sort of facilitating the group to create something and you're sort of out of it a little bit. You're in it, but you're out of it and you're sort of grabbing their ideas and you're sort of just, and ownership and power is with them. I think that's important. But with teaching, I think of it more for myself as like one-to-one. -one. So I do do some one-to-one. -one singing teaching and that's more about it's skills based it's technique it's repertoire it's it feels very different to me mm -hmm. you can teach in a group you know if you were teaching a guitar orchestra or a drumming in a group you know you would spend some time working on rhythms and getting your technique right and stuff I think of it as teaching I have knowledge and expertise in something that you want to learn and so I'm going to yeah. break it down into steps to show you whereas facilitation is I'm going to pull something out of you that you already have and yes. and, and yeah. then hold space for a, a group experience. Yeah, exactly. That's a really nice way of putting it. Thank you. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm married to a teacher, a music teacher. So, you know, these are things we talk about often. Yeah, I've got someone I saw on Facebook. I would not mention their names. They're a very fantastic singer, but they were like, I'm doing singing teaching. I've got some things that work well for me and I can teach you. And I thought, that's maybe not the best approach to teaching. Like just because it works for you, especially with singing, it doesn't mean it'll work for the other person. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. not what singing teaching is about for me. Mm -hmm. It's not about, look at me, I can sing and this, you know. So that yeah, was, it's yeah. interesting to notice 
and so that's what that's how you learn isn't it i know but standing in other people's workshops and learning from other people you know you see other people work and you go oh i maybe wouldn't have done it like that or oh i really liked what they did i'm going to borrow or use right, that you know right but this is kind of relates back to something that you also mentioned a little bit earlier and something that uh, musicians without borders focuses on a lot and one of their core values is quality, that the musical experience, if you're facilitating some kind of interactive musical experience, that it needs to have an element of quality in it. And I think that word came up earlier in our conversation. And I just wanted to circle back and ask you, what does that mean to you to offer a quality music experience? Not that the music has to be high quality, but what is the quality, what does the quality mean in terms of a facilitated experience? I think it's that is so important and I'll put it in the context of maybe prisons which is maybe what I was talking about earlier anyway I think you know you could put a musician into a prison and go do some music with these people but I think when you're offering when you want to offer a quality experience you've got to just be so thoughtful about what you're offering to people you know the fact that there's two of us with different complementary skill sets the fact that we have a sort of more holistic view of what we're dealing with. You know, we are aware of mental health and we're aware of group dynamics and we're aware, you know, so you sort of manage, you can just manage it more beautifully. <laughs> and when, and it is about making sure, little little things that are big things, you know, making sure everyone in the room has input into a song, but you're hearing everyone's voice, but you're super aware of stuff like that. Being inclusive, making it safe. And like I said, there's something to me about high quality of, I'm not just churning, I just strive not to just churn out something that I'm bored with. I, mm. I try and bring I try and bring stuff that I'm knowledgeable, knowledgeable and excited about to my groups. And I think, do you know, there's a book called Community Music it's by Pete Moser and some other people. And in it, Hugh Nankavell, who was my teacher back in university, there's a line in it, just it's simple, it just says, if you're not having fun they're not having fun <laughs> yeah yeah they can <laughs> you know yeah um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that you taught you said something earlier that is so in has intrigued me for so long uh, doing facilitation work myself and conversations with other people this idea of safety and mm. what does that mean to you and what does that mean to the participants this is a thing that who to big on making it a safe space to be <laughs> I think if you're in a mental health you know if you come into a mental health group for the first time as someone with mental health issues what could make that a safe space for you and we we know that even like getting over the threshold can be like the biggest thing you know our invitation that we issue is the biggest thing to get people in the room once you've got people in the room you know you set up right then you're okay getting people in like I said my invitation to residents of prisons is always it's a very open offer like I'm here do you want to see what I do I will not make you sing. You know, I will, you don't have to do an audition. Mm -hmm. Come and let me know what you think. And that, that invitation to make it safe for people to come. Because, you know, coming to a scene group, I could do anything with people. I could embarrass you. I could tell you you're wrong or you're bad or you're, you know. Right, so getting their trust. Getting people's trust. And once you're in the room at Hoot, we have this big thing about, you know, when someone steps into a room, so that's already a big thing. We have support workers around to welcome people and the group are very welcoming and making sure there's enough chairs so that someone doesn't walk in and then they're a bit stuck. Yeah, and a, a lot of that is about preparation, you know, and being prepared yeah. for the experience. But I'm thinking you work with populations that are quite unpredictable. So what does safety yeah. mean in terms of people with mental, you know, the 
you know, you don't, you don't always know what someone's going to do or say, or how do you manage that? Well, at prisons, we work in pairs and for at Hoops, we work with a musician and a creative support worker who is in the group at all times. Because, you know, someone might start feeling not good or start being agitated. And then what we would do is me and the creative support worker would look at each other and telepathically communicate. And they might just go, do you want to come to the other room and have a word or a cup of tea? You know, they would like mm-hmm. maybe remove person see if they're okay mm-hmm. or if you know at some points I have just had to go right everyone we just grab a little break yeah um yeah. sometimes you just have to check in and occasionally you just have to call it in the group if someone's been maybe it's rare to be aggressive or disruptive I have just had to outright say actually this is quite disruptive and I'm just trying to do this thing would you like to am I all right to carry on you know you just have to be really human about it and right, respond you don't right. want to embarrass you would never want to embarrass the person Right, right. I suspect you're probably doing things you might not even realize that the idea of safe space gets thrown around a lot. And that phrase gets used a lot, but it really does take a lot of skill to kind of read the room and, and prepare the space and then hold the space and allow for the emotions. You can't just shut it down either, because then that's not helpful. So I, I find, I just find it a really fascinating topic of what people's perception of that is because a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, we hold safe space," but then, what does that really mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there how is, are you doing that? <laughs> and there is—I don't know—is there really a hundred percent safe space? I don't know that there is. So we have to be ready to manage. You know what? Yeah. What comes up, especially. I think the anything related to the arts can trigger a lot of emotion because it it yeah. moves us. The, its power is in the fact that it moves us and touches us. You know, deeply. Yeah, and quite often in groups, you know, people cry when we're singing. But mm. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Absolutely. Let me, let's just kind of end here talking a little bit about what it's been like to go online for you and yeah. other than losing some work. But what have you, like, what, what have you learned about facilitating online or interacting online or doing music online? Are there, are yeah. there some advantages to it? What, it, what, what's your experience been? I'll start with advantage is that I have been able to reach people that would never have even heard of me or mm-hmm. sang with me. You know, I'm, someone from Hawaii is coming. Someone from Iran is coming. You know, it's just like, it's, it's wild. Wow. Um, so I'm reaching people around the world that I would never have met, which is my, one of my favorite things. And, you know, I've put on some stuff in the UK that people have come to that have never been able to come to my things, which is a pleasure. I am a little bit sick of hearing my own voice because I am working with the loop pedal, which I think makes it, live and interesting you know so I go through all the parts and then I'll record it in mostly live and then it means I can drop bits out or you know do whatever I can sort of arrange it live which feels fun and good Mm -hmm. I try to hear everyone's voices in the sessions if it's either in the typed chat or if it's we can if it's a small enough group that we can unmute so it's been a learning a steep learning curve and I, I wonder if there will always be an element of online now for mm. me if I'm running a course or a thing um, oh like as an added element like once you're able yeah. to go back that you might retain some of this to keep as, a, as yeah. an element of in in like your toolbox well it's been great hearing about all of that and getting this chance to just dive deeper into your work and hear more stories about it 
Is there anything you want to add, anything you want people to know about singing or the role of music in our lives right now in this crazy, crazy time? Yeah. My one thing is at the moment, there's lots of singing happening online. So maybe if you haven't sang before or you haven't done that, maybe join one and feel feel what that feels like, because it's actually a really good opportunity to maybe if you're not as confident a singer to sing because you're muted. So you're just singing on your own, in your room, you're muted, but you're sort of connected to other people too. So I think that quite a few people I've worked with have had that experience. They've not done it before. They've joined and they're like, oh, I can sing with this. So that's nice. Keep singing. Keep singing. We can do it. <laughs> well, thanks, Jess. Thank you so much. And yeah, we'll post some some links and videos yeah. and contact information for you and uh, the best of luck with your work. And thank you. May the lockdown end soon. <laughs> We'll sing together, shoulder to shoulder, in harmony. Big thanks to Jess Baker for sharing her wisdom and experience with us. Jess is on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram as Jess Baker Sings, so look for her there. For links to Jess's work and her website, visit us online at www.sonic-bloom.org where you can also subscribe to our newsletter and get notifications of future Singers on the Front Lines podcasts. You can subscribe to this show on Podbean, iTunes, or via RSS so you'll never miss a beat. We're just getting started, and if you liked this interview and want to help us get up and running, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep on singing. Controversy.